Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Daily Marketer, your weekly dose of growth marketing knowledge for the busy founder or startup marketer. What we're doing on season two is something a little different. We are bringing on people who are growing companies, whether they're the founder or whether they're at the forefront as the CMO or the VP of marketing. And we're understanding their strategies, questions, tools, and tactics for solving some of the hardest marketing problems out there. We're also bringing on people who are subject matter experts in a subsect of marketing. Think social media marketing, recruitment advertising, branding, and we're digging deep into their brain and furring out that knowledge for you so you can use that knowledge in the growth of your startup. So who are we talking to today? Today, we're talking to Ty DeGrange. Ty DeGrange is the CEO and principal at Round Barn Labs, a growth as a service agency that provides paid marketing and conversion rate optimization services for some of the world's greatest brands, including eBay, Porsche, Modcloth, and startups backed by Andreessen Horowitz, Kleiner Perkins, and Google Ventures. It's a nice roster there. Prior to Round Barn Labs, Ty was head of growth at Amazon, head of growth at Harlan Clark, and head of growth at Quotient Technology, where he tripled customer bases, lowered CAC by launching untapped marketing channels, and consistently found and solved sticking points in each of their customer journey. Ty also is an active member of the Reforge Growth Community, a San Francisco-based growth-focused learning series led by world-renowned growth practitioners like Andrew Chen and Brian Balfour. Ty holds a Bachelor's of Arts in History from UC Santa Barbara. This episode was very introspective. It's the best word that I could find for this. Ty himself is a humble, thoughtful, and excellent marketer with a wealth of knowledge in digital marketing. He's incredibly good at what he does. I think you'll find that out very quick, uh, which I'd say one of those things is customer acquisition. And thus, he's an inspiration for someone like myself. In this episode, we talk about growth marketing as a concept, the duopoly of Google and Facebook as behemoth marketing channels, and the inception and growth of Round Bar Labs. So maybe we, we get a little uh, you know, growth within growth of a concept that we'll dig into. This episode is particularly valuable for two types of people. One, anyone who is looking for a foundational understanding of paid acquisition, what it is, and honestly, the evolution of digital marketing over the past 15 years. And two, anyone who has considered starting a marketing agency or consultancy and wants some firsthand commentary from someone who is doing it well. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Ty DeGrange. And uh, if you do like the show, please subscribe. We will enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we'll announce every other week on the show. All right, cheers. Hey, Ty, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for carving out time. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, I, I know you got a lot going on. So um, I thought I'd kick it off in a little bit of an unconventional way. Uh, I noticed that you studied history in college and you went to UC Santa Barbara. Uh, so what made you go from history 
to getting involved in marketing. So she really in the really early stages of internet marketing in uh, the early 2000s. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually always had an interest in history. History is um, something I've been passionate about um, at an early age. And I actually did have a very strong interest in the advertising medium and in the late you know, late 90s. That kind of dates me a little bit as, as I was entering going into college. Mm-hmm. I And UC Santa Barbara didn't really have a uh, advertising program per se. And so I, as a learner, a lifelong learner, I think is what I am more than anything. Um, I could have probably taken multiple majors at, at that time in my life and, yeah. and happy as a clam. Um, but the thing that really catalyzed it was a particular professor, Professor Kalman at hmm. UC Santa Barbara. She was amazing. And looking at things like 20th century presidential history and political worlds uh, were really fascinating. Cold War was really fascinating to me. Um, in particular. And so those are areas I gravitated to and I really enjoyed. Uh, and I, I knew that if I was doing something I was enjoying, it would, it would end well. Um, yeah. And I think that's relatively proved itself out. Um, and, you know, I thought about, okay, what do you do with that? And the, the, the running notion at the time was, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? What do you do with it? It's like, it's very challenging. Do you become a professor? Do you go to law school? Do you parlay that into politics? Do you become a teacher? Yeah. Um, writer. So it, it, it was fairly limiting. Um, I had a stint where I did find law very interesting and wanted to pursue that. And I kind of stumbled into digital, actually. It wasn't something hmm. that was planned out perspective of, I really want to do this and I'm going to take these steps to do it. It was more of, um, I'm, I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time in the Bay Area, in San Francisco. And once I got into a startup, it was a Sequoia-backed, a venture capital-backed company that was very much in a high-growth, exciting period. That really catalyzed this, oh, wow, opened up a whole other world for me. Mm-hmm. So a number of roles prior to that, of course, but um, that's what really sparked my interest in seeing there was something in technology and marketing and startups and did you seek out the role with, and it was Bargain Network, right? Actually, it was Adbright. So, Ad, Adbright. so Bargain Network I, was was a company where uh, was a great direct response learning opportunity. Basically, they mm-hmm. built a offline platform and tracked it very well, uh, utilizing phone, TV, print media. So it was a great, you know, entry into direct response marketing. Yeah. Ironically, with the heavy stint on offline, there were some online elements, but it was heavy offline media. And they had a really smart platform where they were tracking extensions and vanity URLs and things in a way that was very effective. And so that actually helped get me into direct response marketing. It, it was a good training ground for that. But the startup role, the Sequoia-backed company in San Francisco was AdBright. It was one of the first display ad networks. So at the time, I think it was Aquantive might have been the name and Double click acquired by Google. There was kind of this frenzy of growth within display marketing and programmatic um, around that 2004 to 2008 timeframe, probably. Um, a lot of acquisitions happening, so it was an exciting time to be in the display ad space. Was it was it hard getting that first role, or was it? Did how did you end up working at AdBright? It was, I believe. So this is a, a funny story. Um, it was through a friend of a friend 
and they needed they needed help immediately to translate their site into Pig Latin in order to uh, localize uh, languages and go global. Yeah. And huh. so how ironic, how crazy is that? But that was my first job at a at a real tech startup. Yeah. And I joke about it with people to this day on occasion. Um, not exactly rocket science, but that was how it started. And then they kept growing very quickly. They kept hiring very quickly. They said, hey, do you want to interview for this role? Uh, helping inside sales and onboarding clients and folks that are looking to uh, spend more and acquire customers via display and through this ad network. Uh, and so that's what I did. And then I graduated to kind of more full-on account management, handling larger clients. Yeah. It was uh, quite the experience. And was the your your degree in history an inhibitor in any way, or was it actually something interesting and uh, that yeah. it, it, it maybe it wasn't a hard qualifier for them? It was, I think for me, I mean, at the time it was definitely not an inhibitor. It was um, a period where there were other experiences, many of them I could draw from and, and tout and illustrate that I was uh, able to get things done. Uh, so it was definitely not going straight from history to that. However, I think that the history degree, the amount of knowledge and information you had to synthesize, the, the particular coursework yeah. I took, and I had a voracious appetite for learning. Uh, history does require you to synthesize a lot of information and make some some hypotheses and make some conclusions and make a case for, for what you believe and what you think yeah. based on the evidence and based on the data uh, and based on the readings, um, whether it's secondary or primary sources, um, and so, you know, I think that the liberal art degree and training can be helpful for people, uh, in, in kind of putting together writing. And obviously you see the movement over things like Amazon, people are, uh, doing a lot more internal writing, writing. And so his history writing the same as Amazon writing, absolutely not. But, um, to be able to make clear cases for yourself in, in your writing, I think is something that's kind of interesting to think about and explore. Yeah, I, I actually was listening. It's it's really relevant of to starting greatness. It's this uh, podcast around starting a company. They they starting a startup specifically. They interview people like Reid Hoffman and and others who have have pretty rich history. And so Reid Hoffman, I was listening to one today. He said, you know, with uh, PayPal, how I got to end up working there was that because he had studied philosophy at Oxford, it was his bachelor's degree. Uh, you, you know, they, they they said, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you studied uh, or that it's it's going to disqualify you more that, you know, one, you're a quick learner and two, you're a team player. Like, and, and as long as you have those two things, then uh, then then we, we want to work with you and, and that, you know, you're really smart or curious. Uh, and, Absolutely. And, and he's like, well, you know, if someone came to us and said, oh, I got 20 years of marketing at Hasbro, uh, it, it, it wouldn't, it's like that, that's not the right question to be asking is how many years of experience do you have working for a corporation in marketing? It's, it's uh, well, let's talk to you and see if you really are curious. And if you, if you ask the right questions and um, if, if you can pick things up really fast and if, if you can't, then, you know, it, it, it just doesn't matter that you worked at that place for 20 years. Completely agree. That's a great point. Um, I love that. And um, yeah, there's there's so many examples of that where it's it's more that foundational learning and that foundational understanding and 
thirst for knowledge and curiosity more so than some of the other, you know, uh, signals or, or degrees or certifications. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've been working in marketing for nearly what? I mean, two decades, right? Since maybe 2002, 2003. Uh, what, and, and you mentioned that you're a lifelong learner. Is there some sort of lifelong learning aspect to, to marketing that makes you keep on coming back to it and build your career larger and larger through it? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that um, I, I think I was, people have that con- combination of you know, how they were born, how they're raised, nature and nurture. And I think that I definitely have a innate interest in psychology, how things are positioned, how users behave, how brands interact with users. That was, you know, going back to thinking about what I wanted to do as far back as even like high school. Okay, I have to start thinking about this, right? We all do that. We all go through that phase. Um, I was taken aback by how brands would engage, entertain, educate um, through through the medium of commercial. Primarily, digital really wasn't that large back then. Yeah. It was starting to happen, obviously, on on different portals and Yahoo and Netscape was becoming a thing, but. I always found that interesting. Like how does the user psychology and the psychology of engagement kind of matter? Um, and then as, as time went on, I think I realized that there was so much to learn around each of the individual channels, each of the uh, holistically putting together planning and budgeting and team building around the, the, the discipline of marketing, um, looking at as it evolved you know, in different careers and, and in general, so much data was becoming available that by its design, it's something that you have to keep up on on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And it's not something that you learn and execute and you say you're a marketer and that's it. Yeah. And so the fact that it is constantly requires learning at a deep level um, was something I think I have been and am extremely attracted to and very grateful to be a part of. And, and so, um, yeah, that, that's a good it's a great question. Yeah, I, I found that when I, when I started to do digital marketing, it was it was like the news. The moment that I learned something and started doing, it, I go, oh, I, I can I can do Facebook ads. All right, this is good. <laughs> it was like I was immediately out of <laughs> already already out of date with it, right? Because yeah. I, I'm sure you work with a lot of Facebook reps too. They they send you something every week, and it's you know an entire one pager of hey, here are things that are different now and maybe you want to try this out and here's new ad placement format. And it's like, wow, yeah, there's 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 so much. Uh, and that, right? That, that is such an amazing example because like as a team, having done so many different campaigns and, and paid social and Facebook specific spend, um, we literally, the, the, the amount of change we've seen on Facebook just in the last year, and we keep seeing this, of course, it's it's just drastic. It's significant. So yeah. you have to be very nimble and agile and be willing to be fairly aggressive at trying new things and keeping up with what's happening and have different pockets of growth people to talk to and paid social experts to talk to and you know, brands to to help and work with and test uh, because it does change so drastically. It's just it's just insane. Yeah, um, right. Like uh, you know, campaign budget optimization and that being mm-hmm. a a default. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they've been pushing video ads for a long time, and that one's really hard to crack. And yeah, the, the 
the, the, the lead ad placements and that being embedded. Yeah, there's there's so much. It's it's a uh, I find Facebook Ads Manager. It looks so simple, and it's like you just have no idea how much how much is behind it and how much you could do. Absolutely, absolutely, and they're taking you know so much of that um, the levers to pull. They are, I think, making it more. I don't think they're necessarily giving less options, but in some ways they're taking more control away from the yeah. operator, right? Like oh, they, yeah. their algorithm is becoming so so much power, more powerful over time oh, yeah. in, in specific use cases that I think the best practitioners are the ones that are knowing when that is the case and enabling the algorithm to do its best work for yeah. the client, for the business, right? I think it puts so much more of the onus on the creativity and the, um, yeah, the frequency and the medium, whether it's video or GIF or static. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the things we certainly see as well. Yeah, that's we always talked about that. They like to take control back and leave you with just the two things that you can control, which is the creative and the audience targeting. You know, at least you can upload X amount of thousand of people, and then they can match that. And it goes back to them taking control of it there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, even with the creative, it's okay. Hey, you can make whatever you want, but we need to look at it. It can't. It can't violate mm-hmm. any of these twenty-seven standards. That's yep. you know. And if it does, then you got to go appeal it. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. It's it's you got to operate within a really specific, but in some way, it's a really helpful frame uh, that they say you, you're going to get a strike, but you're gonna you got to have these bumpers on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but I think that both from a data performance, you know, pre-COVID, people have been begging for other additional levers to pull outside of Google oh, yeah. search search capture demand, you know, Google right. display for great generating demand. Uh, yes, you can generate and capture demand a bit on Facebook, mostly generate it. Yeah. But like for for things like Snap, Pinterest to start getting more traction and start working more effectively. Amen. It's just a breath of fresh air for people because for some yeah. of the last five years in particular, it's it's yes, you can get some results, but you're going to run into competition. You're going to see right. You're going to run into platform limitations that you've outlined. And so um, I'm, I'm eager and excited for kind of like a third, third to emerge, if you will. Amen. Yeah. Um, right. Oh yeah, the duopoly is is real, and so um, yeah, yeah, it's it's ninety percent market share real, you know, because then you try yep. something else. I mean, you try Pinterest, you try Snapchat, and you go, oh, this is it's okay, you know, the results are fine, but you can't get the scale. It's like you can rarely get the scale that Agreed. you do through Google and Facebook. Agreed. Yeah, Did, I think yeah. That's a good point. Did you ever try the Spotify ad studio where you could give them a script and they would go, all right, we're going to, for free, we're going to get someone to record an audio ad for you. And then that'll be your, it'll, we'll play these ads for people. I love that. I love that. We, we didn't, we didn't test that out. We were familiar with what they rolled out. We were familiar with the platform. We never really got in and launched significant campaigns with it. I, I would love to see and learn more about those. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you I, test I, it out? We did. Yeah. At, at Rover, we tested it out. And it was, it, it, it was one of the, it was of 10 channels that we tested over six weeks. It, it was one of the better results. It wasn't, it wasn't 
Facebook or Google equivalent, but if it had optimization opportunity, I think there'd be a lot to do there. Like if you could see the view-based results of when someone like drops off or like clicks on something, I think that's the granularity that could have been helpful because then you could see, oh, they dropped off in the first five, four seconds. This this might not be a good recording in general, you know, like, or they dropped off at, or they actually engage with it at 10 seconds in. Okay, well, what's at the 10 seconds? Is there something there, right? But otherwise, you you did the recording, you posted the ad, and then you saw how it did. And then it was like, all right, well, either did a good job or it didn't. And then yep. y- you were left there. If you can't drive down the CPA, then it, the, the, the opportunity seems to be missed for spending more money with it. Totally. And that's the limitation we've seen with a lot of the others and why right. Facebook spends so well is you've got that granularity of conversion, so many conversion events to track and yeah. uh, you've got e-commerce, you know, past back data, you've got a lot of ways to measure the impact. And, and that's what some of these other platforms are attempting to and yeah. building quickly to catch up with. Um, yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, speaking of digital marketing, internet marketing. So, you you started within it when it was barely even a thing uh, in the early two thousands. So, it was was there something that you saw that others didn't, um, and ultimately that made you place your bet here, or was it kind of out of par- partial luck? I mean, candidly, I think being I thought about this a fair amount, and I think that being geographically located in Northern California. Uh, was extremely fortunate. And I think that people, I think that's a great question on the how I built this podcast of uh, yeah. how much is it luck? I, I think there's a significant amount of that for many people in life. Mm. Um, I think that when I saw, you, you could kind of, you know, I, I think I, I enjoy looking at trends and looking at what's coming. And so I, I don't, I definitely don't view myself as a Nostradamus. Um, I <laughs> but I, I do think that I enjoy looking at trends and understanding what's coming and observing kind of macro things and um, movement. Uh, and so I, it's something I still have to do with building what we're building now and looking what's ahead. And so um, that's the, that's the goal and you're definitely not going to get it right every time, but a lot of it is just being in the right place. I think that also just the element of it working, you know, you get into a role you really enjoy, you really, satisfied you're excited about the people you work with you're excited about the intellectual challenge there is movement and hiring and opportunity and and clients that are asking for your help and coming to you and going hey what do i do here yeah that cycle kind of repeats itself and so it's a good feedback right exactly yeah that that is that drives a lot of it as you can imagine so a lot of it is out of necessity um more than more than it is intent yeah. Were there trends along the way in uh, all your experiences that served as clues that this is something that you should keep on being in? That's a good one. Um, I think, I mean, the, I think that, you know, you could kind of see that there was, there were businesses that could operate and achieve most of what they needed to do online. You, you knew inherently, and I think most of our colleagues and many people, even in the general populace, knew that things were going to continue to move online. You knew you would see how much money was being spent offline yeah. versus how much eyeballs and engagement was online. And that gap is obviously closed over time. Um, but I remember having conversations in particular around mobile 
when, gosh, it was probably 2012 to 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. talk about an explosion of mobile. Yeah. And that was, that was a time where you know, the app store was still getting going. You know, right. talk about 2010 was three years away from the iPhone launching. Yeah. Um, when did the app store launch? What? Oh, nine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was saying like, Oh, nine. Oh, 10. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, talk about, I mean, I remember being, you know, being able to run some of the first Facebook newsfeed ads, you know, for iPad, iPhone type ads. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. So you kind of see these trends of like first to channel, first to market yeah, uh, to gain that, that great return and then having it become saturated with time. Um, kind of that concept of life cycles of channels. Yep. But I think it is like following where the people are going is as simple as that sounds. There wasn't yeah. elements of that where the pricing wasn't baked in yet. And so, yeah. you know, around 2010 to 2015, by 2015, it was already out of the bag, but by 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, you could really see it. I mean, I was even interested in kind of, what was happening in the political sphere at the time and what, what was it? Uh, the revolution will not be televised by Joe Trippi, the whole story of the Howard Dean campaign. And then how yeah. look at what Obama's campaign took that and really ran with it and made yeah. the AB testing they did and optimized oh, yeah. they came out of that. So we all got hit with all that really front and center. And so you could see how critical it was to any business and, and even things as large as, uh, presidential uh, politics. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it was, it was there for a lot of us, I think, and I'm sure you experienced it to a degree. So yeah, those are some of the things that popped up. Yeah. It makes me thinking about, did you see the documentary, the great hack on Netflix? Was that the one I think I did? Yeah. Was it the, about Cambridge Cambridge Analytica? Analytica? I did. Yeah. 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 That was Man. very interesting. That was so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if, if anyone was able to watch that and see that, because I only saw it after the fact when the, there was the the court cases around it, uh, was, man, you know, that's what's possible. <laughs> like, it's possible to maybe win an election. And they had done it many times before for candidates in other countries, you know, small, poor, developing countries. And they'd done it for them. They're like, we can do it here. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Brand saw that. Uh, maybe in the moment thought, oh, that's possible. You know, w- what what we could do for clients if you can do that for a country, right? Yeah, it's super eye-opening. And um, I don't know why I jumped to the, I think it's the uh, quote from Warren Buffett around, show me the incentive and I'll show you the results. You know, it's like, we you'd, you'd like to think we can get to, continue to get to places where, yes, there's going to be, nefarious behavior there's going to be great behavior there's going to be good behavior and right. ideally we can utilize these tools more for more for our benefit but right. um but it make it would make a lot of sense why people are employing these tools for things that are maybe not ideal or misaligned or yeah not not not, not for the greater good right um, ideally we can we can do the opposite and do more for the greater good amen yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, so is in your experience the past 17 years, have you developed some sort of a philosophy in marketing that is an undercurrent for how you make decisions? Uh, maybe a way you approach uh, serving clients and even even growing your own company? 
That's a really good question. Um, we, you know, a lot of, a number of things have kind of inspired how we think. Um, I think that a lot of it is, is, um, you know, central to, you know, what, what I've seen work over the years and what I think a lot of good growth practitioners, digital marketers, just basic business, business owners have found working. Uh, we have a couple of fun internal documents at Round Barn Labs that we draw from. We have a standards of excellence kind of central um, mission. We have kind of our, our long-term 10-year plan kind of mission documents that, that kind of formulate it. And I think it's, I mean, a lot of it is around like just getting, you know, shipping things to clients, you know, not, not letting perfect be the yeah. Um, enemy of good. And, and I think in this space, sometimes speed is important. You have to balance speed and quality, but I think having some degree of agility. When I set out to, to launch you know, Round Bar Labs, it was, um, there wasn't a lot of folks, I, I think, that had that, hey, we've been in-house at a startup. We've been in-house at a big company. Um, we've, we've seen kind of how the sausage is made. Um, there's there was so much traditional you know agency philosophy out there of like okay long long big commitments and long term um, bloated expenses yeah. and things and so there was like hey let's let's try to fix that um, and so I think the other thing that I I get I get excited about is some of the concepts around um, being able to step outside your own ideas and and thought and say how do you make better decisions with teams and so allowing people around you to challenge you really openly uh, and challenge the idea. We're not, we're, we try to kind of have a culture and conversation around attacking the idea, not the person. It's like, it's totally fine to let down the guard, let down the ego and have your idea not win and disagree and commit. And so a lot of those Amazonian leadership principles, a lot of the, um, a lot of great thought you know, thinkers of, of the age have helped inform that stuff and helped us say uh, a lot of the like logical fallacies out there of like looking at data and kind of making a decision that's, is that really, is that recency? Are you just taking it because this recently happened to you or, or to the data that you're looking at? Mm-hmm. And so really stepping back and being able to challenge your, your assumptions on things has been, I think something that is good foundational thinking mm. to to be really open about it. Yes, we have to come up with a recommendation for the client ultimately, or we need to respond to a client need or recommend based on their question, but not being necessarily uh, wed to a particular path or process or or way is something I think can be. You have to have your foundational, you know, you know what's right and wrong in a in a situation, but. Being being somewhat agile and flexible, I think, is something we we can do well at times. I always find myself surprised at what I think would work, and then what actually doesn't work, and then what I'm what's unsu- uh, surprisingly successful too. You know, uh, totally because we we can have these incredible hunches. And I wish I was the Steve Jobs of marketing, but I'm not, and I'm and I'm wrong a lot. You know, and it's it's humbling, and it's actually mm-hmm. really powerful because it just shows you how much opportunity there is out there to mm-hmm. to try everything you can and that mm-hmm. there's going to be those the 10 percent, the 20 percent that really knocks that out of the park and you know what if it knocks out of the park that means maybe that's a competitive edge in itself someone else mm-hmm. hasn't figured out that that's within your industry totally for your customer that that's a totally. great channel you know like for example totally. there's if everyone's doing 
job boards like my, my role right now, everyone does does indeed and and all these other mm-hmm. aggregators. It's like like that's not special. We're we're, we're not mm-hmm. going to get some absolutely incredible customers, users by by doing that. We we, we need to we need to think better, you know. And yeah. uh, it it, yeah. it can be it can be hard getting the client. I, I, I can imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, to get them to think like that, that, hey, maybe you should challenge whether that's actually true or not. Mm-hmm. That, spot on. I, they, you know, I think that we come at it with an approach of, and it's an ongoing process. You know, I think we, we I want to be more user user experience driven than sometimes the client is, sometimes our, you know, other options in the space are than if you were to just say, let's hire a really good paid social expert and plug them in and go away. Yeah. We want to be like a team approach around to have more eyes and to start with a very user experience centric view of like, let's gather the data. Let's talk to customers let's talk to your sales team. Let's, yeah. let's challenge some of the assumptions that we all have collectively. Yeah. And yes, we're still the agency or the growth marketing consulting firm as we like to call ourselves but, and, you, and you're going to have your requests and we're going to meet and exceed those. But I think good partners and good agency agency advertiser partnerships are, are drawn from, hey, can we have those candid conversations to kind of align on that growth roadmap or that test pipeline so that it's not just order taking and it's more of a collaboration. It's more of a you know benefit collectively to get better together. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, we're probably going to be aligned on a lot of the things, but some of the stuff we can kind of clarify and make more efficient quickly with just really good candid uh, conversation. Um, yeah. Right. Yep. The, the why can be a mystery even for the, the actual company that has that customer. Right. Totally. And I, I love, I love being the third party to kind of look at it as an objective outside view and go, this is all really well thought out. But if you thought about this or yeah, here's your mission, here's your kind of growth model, but how do you, um, how do we make sure those are better aligned or your channel hypotheses might be these things, but have you thought about this one and how yeah. much testing has actually been done to validate that, that model or that market marketing channel analysis. So yeah, couldn't be more fun to work on those interesting challenges for us and our clients. Yeah. So, so, so the concept of growth as a service, that seems like a very new concept. Like if, if I had a company, if I was Procter and Gamble, and I was spinning off a new brand of detergent, and you know they were like, "We need to grow this thing really fast. We want to operate like a startup." Like, who do we approach? I mean, Round Barn Labs. I'd be thinking, "Oh, they provide exactly what we're looking for. Of course, we should consider them." So, so has this been a kind of a radically new thing to be able to offer, or have you seen it done before? So I think. Um... I think the giving some credit to you know where I, where where I see a lot of this happening and where I see some of the better kind of thoughts and thinking around growth. Uh, we've seen a lot internally as operators. We've seen a lot as external agencies. Uh, right around the time I was uh, launching Round Barn Labs, I was fortunate to you know, have some good conversation and collaboration with with Brian Balfour before he went to HubSpot, and uh-huh. prior to him launching Reforge and. I think in some of the Reforge content early in the early days, he had talked a lot about that, him and Andrew Chen around growth as a service. I think people kind of picked that up and ran with it a little bit. And I think yep. that it was very much a 
uh, way to structure a growth team that was more less integrated with the rest of the team. So mm-hmm. a lot of times it would be varying structures of growth teams, and this was one of them. Um, you know, for us, I think the the concept was being able to apply not one channel but multiple channels. It was the ability to look at things from a more product centric view as opposed to just a paid marketing view. Yeah, uh, it was a way to look at things from a how do you think about virality or content as well. Um, yeah. And so some of the growth levers that you do have, we could bring those to bear in a collective, you know, strategy, conversation, improvement. And in some ways you could step back and say, is that really revolutionary? A lot of it probably isn't. Um, however, uh, I think, yeah, there is kind of like a movement to kind of get more like product knowledge outside of the business, if you will. Yeah, uh, but it's balanced with how many companies and teams really need to own that internally, and I, I think most of them own it, own product really, truly internally. Yeah, they may go to a team like ours oh, to yeah. to get that launched or to understand more of their user or to come up with a growth roadmap or to then take that and then run into paid marketing and manage that very well. But uh, but yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see if there's more of that that happens uh, it, either teams that are kind of like the um, the SWAT team of a company internally that is like the growth machine, which is often how it's applied. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, in some ways we were kind of like that at, at the eBay internet marketing team. We were kind of like this machine that, you know, motors and electronics and fashion would come to and say, hey, we need X hmm. and we would deliver it. So it was kind of interesting moving forward. Um, that world has changed a little bit, but It'll be interesting to see if more external teams can be, how effective they can be at influencing growth. Yeah, um, we we candidly are often focused on one channel to do really well. What I like to think is that we can understand how that one channel we're working on really well fits into the overall ecosystem. Yeah, and when we start to see blockers or opportunities within that one channel, we can capitalize them no more more effectively, more readily or also adjust for some of the mid-tier startup type brands that need that agility. For the larger brands, it's more of a longer term view. And yeah. you want to take that with the earlier stage companies, but I think the the more mature companies that have, um, you know, we're talking about billion dollar companies, the, they're, there's more of like, how do we go as deep as possible on affiliate or how do we go as deep as yeah. possible on paid paid search or paid social? Hey, sexy ladies and gentlemen, that was part one to our two-part conversation with our guest. Arguably, the second half is actually better than the first, so I suggest you go and listen to that. Also, before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To give you a little background to why those two, it's because both have a material effect in growing the ranking of the show in podcast categories through the iTunes podcast ranking system, similar to how Google search ranks and organizes top sites for a specific search. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Scroll to the bottom of the show and hit add review. 10 words, 10 seconds, very easy. You'll be entered into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money, y'all. You got to love that. 
you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be freaking amazing. Thank you. Take care and good night.